today. Do you realize that four weeks from today is Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That means it is 37 days from now. That's not very far away. And I want you to realize something. Even though we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that today he is still alive. It wasn't a one and done thing and that he died, they rose again and then he went away and he's not alive anymore. He is still alive. And so Easter Sunday, that's going to be the focus. That's, our, that's our, our focus for the day. He is still alive. And it's going to be a musical morning. We're going to have some great music that's going to happen. And we're going to just focus on the fact that we have a Savior who is alive. He's alive forevermore. And we want you to be here that day. And we want you to invite some people to come with you. Now, there's absolutely no reason anymore that you cannot be here. And I can't believe that you, would, that you would not want to be here if at all possible on Easter Sunday when we think about Jesus being alive. And so we want you to be here. Uh, glad for those of you who are online, but let's gather together as the church family. Not just half of the church family or two-thirds of the church family. Let's gather together as the family of God. And let's worship together our, resur our resurrected Savior. And also, we want you to invite some others to come and be a part of that. And I'm dropping stuff here. Um, and so we're going to hand to you today, on your way out of the auditorium, uh, two books. Well, actually, we're going to hand you one book. We're going to hand you two copies of the same book. I should, I should clarify that. You're not going to get two separate, two single books two different books, but two of the same book. And it's called At the Cross with the people who were there. It's a real simple little read. It just came out. Um, you are some of the first people who will get to read it. Um, and it is, a, it is a neat book. There are four chapters in it. And so we're going, to, we're going to ask, I'm asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to read, first of all, one chapter each of these next four, these next four weeks starting today. They're, they're simple chapters. I read the first one this morning uh, before worship. And, um, and it, it's at the cross with the hardened skeptics. And then next week we're going to read at the cross with a devoted servant. And then at the third week we're going to read at the cross with a heartbroken mother. And then finally at the cross with a condemned criminal. And then you're going you're gonna to be blessed by that. And you're going to be ready for Easter Sunday morning. Inside of it, though, you're going to find an invitation to our Easter service, and we want you to, uh, to pay attention to that. And then we're gonna give you a second book that has the same invitation. And so we're giving you one to read and one to give. One to read and one to give, or one to read and one to give, however you wanna do that, okay? Um, and so, so please begin to pray about who you will give this book to. Now, I told you last Sunday when I talked about this that we're giving you this book to give away, and we, our preference will be that you don't give it to somebody who goes to another local church, that you give it to somebody who you know is unsaved. Because I will tell you on almost every page going through this book, it's going to talk about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he came to make available to everyone. And so begin to pray about who you'd give that to. 
And when they open it, they're going to find that invitation to be in our Easter Sunday service. And so invite them to come and join Easter Sunday with you. Now, if they can't come, um, there's, there's the links that they can watch it online because we will be online on Easter Sunday. And so we want you to do that. In yours that you're going to read, you will also find that same invitation. And so you already know what's going to say, so why don't you give that one away as well? You can keep the book, but give away the invitation. Or you can do it this way. You can give both of them away and the invitations, and you can go to our website and find the link to download either a PDF or a Kindle version of it for free. And you can read it that way. And so you can give two and read one that way. You can give away the Kindle version, but you may have to give away the Kindle too, so that may get a little pricey for you. We're not going to pay for that if you want to give them a Kindle reader. Um, they'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to do that. So go ahead and do that. Give those away. We'll make some of the, the invitations available too as we, as we get closer. So join me in prayer as we come now to God's Word. Father, this morning we want to praise you for, for your love and your, and your grace in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity that we had to to be able to sing praises to, about our Savior and to, and to acknowledge who he is and, and what he does in our lives and what he, how he continues to work and to give us hope and peace and grace. And now, Father, we pray that Jesus would be glorified in, in this time of our worship as we open your word, as we listen to what your Spirit says to us. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to, to be able to, to say thank you for what you've done for us. Father, we pray for, uh, for those who are in our church family who are struggling this week. Uh, some of them are going through chemotherapy for, for various kinds of cancer. Father, we pray that, that you would watch over them, that you would give them strength to endure, that you would give them grace, that you would give them peace, that you would be with their families and guard over them. Father, we, we praise you for your strength and your healing that you're giving and for the healing that you're going to give. Father, we pray that you would be with those families, that you would hold them close to you. For those who are struggling with life right now, just, just with, the, with all of the, the things that are going on and for the, for the, the anxiety and the depression, and, and Father, we just pray that your grace would be sufficient, that your peace that passes all understanding would rest upon troubled souls. Father, we thank you that we get to rejoice. We get to rejoice in a living Savior. We get to rejoice in the salvation that he gives to us freely. And so, Father, now we pray that you would, that you would receive our worship even as we, as we worship through listening to the Spirit as he speaks through your word. And, Father, we pray that Jesus would be glorified, that people either in this room or, or people who are online who are hearing your word would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we will give you glory right now in praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians, and I know we're going to be not in Ephesians today, but I want to read a couple of verses from Ephesians with you. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to go there in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 4. 
And if you if you're reading our if you're reading along with us in the emerge our emerge the immerse um, uh, reading reading Bible in our small groups um, that are taking place and there's information about that in your ministry guide. Um, this is part of last week's reading, not this week's, but last week's reading. And in verse four of Ephesians, this is what Paul says: even before he talking about Jesus Christ, even before he made the world, God loved us chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, just let that sink in for just a moment. Paul says that before God created anything in this world, Anything in the universe, he already knew you. He knew you who were in this room. He knew you who were online. He knew every person. And he chose us for salvation. And not only did he do that, he knew what it was going to cost, and he did it anyway, and it was his great pleasure to do that. He says, so we praise God. For the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased us with our, uh, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Our response to him, when he does that for us, what in the world could it be? What would we do to respond to that kind of love? that would respond to that kind of grace, that would send Jesus Christ into our world to be the sacrifice for our sins, not his because he never sinned. And yet he was willing to become our sin and die on the cross in our place. How do you respond to that kind of God? How do you respond to that kind of love? And that's what we're talking about this morning. We are talking about, um, about Messiah, this series of sermons I put together based on one passage from each of the readings from each week. We're reading through the New Testament in eight weeks. We are now in our fourth week. Uh, our, excuse me, we're starting our fifth week. And, and so for those of you who are up to date in your reading, we are, we are in the second column now of our reading. We're in, day, we're in week number five. And some of you are only going to begin it today because your, your small group is this afternoon, so you're finishing week four. And some of us who have, whose, whose day was on Monday, we've been in our new readings now for a week. This is, this is, week, this is day seven of our reading. And that's just kind of how that goes. And so, so today I'm, I'm sharing with you a passage that comes right about in the, me, the middle of our reading. But we're talking about today just this crash course, if you will, a crash course on how to love God more. How do we love God more? This is a God who loved us so much that before he even created anything, he already knew our names and he knew we were going to be sinners and we were going to reject him and we were going to kill his son. And yet he still loved us enough to send Jesus because he knew Jesus was the only answer. And in love, he did that and it was his great pleasure to do that. And that's a, that's a strange thing to say. How do, I, how do I thank a God? How do I respond to a God like that? So what do I do in response to that kind of thing? And so today we're talking about how do you love God more? We're in Mark chapter, chapter 12 today. 
Mark chapter 12. And so you can turn your Bibles there if you want to and take out your sermon notes. As I, I heard a story about a guy, that kid really, that was in his senior year of high school. And like all, a lot of seniors do, they have to figure out, where do I want to go to college if I'm going to go to college? And his parents had really pressured him to go to a certain Christian college. And uh, he had, he'd, he'd sent for an application, sent in his application. In return, they sent back to him a handbook. And he started reading this handbook. And this was a very, this was a very um, fundamental, if you will, a very strict um, Christian college. And so when he got this, it had over 300 rules. 300 rules that every student was expected to live by for the four years they were going to be there. Rules like, like um, you know, a, a boy and a girl could not hold hands while they were walking down the campus. Um, rules on dress and, and, and all those kinds of things. And, and then it had all of the, the, the ones you might expect. Don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. And, you know, and, and all the Baptist big five and don't do those things. And, and, and he got that and he started thinking about that. And, and finally he came to his parents and he said, you know, he said, I got a problem here. He said, I know you want me to go to this school and I know that I've been raised in church, but I got to tell you, I know in my heart that I'm not a Christian. I know in my heart that I don't have that thing that you talk about. And he said, I look at what, what I'm supposed to do. And he said, how could I go to a college that I don't even believe the main beliefs that they have, that they espouse? I don't accept those for myself. He said, and besides, he said, as far as I can tell, the main rules of going to college are that you show up at college, you, do, you work hard, and that you graduate. And I intend to do that. That's what my intention is, to go to college. And so with great heartbroken, they agreed that he didn't have to go to that college. He applied somewhere else and got his college degree. And by God's grace, to kind of bring an end to that story, um, because it is a true story, um, a few years later, he came to a saving knowledge, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and ended up pastoring a church in Southern California. But that story is... is just kind of points to what happens in a lot of people's lives of unchristians. They look at the church, they look at us as the church, and they say, I don't quite know how to relate to that because what I seem to see are a lot of rules. I see a lot of do's and don'ts, and, and we perpetuate that. Denominations have a lot of, of particular rules, and, and Christianity and as a whole have, have a lot of rules. And people look at this, and they begin to equate Christianity with just a set of rules, some to do, some not to do. And they say, but I don't necessarily agree with the tenets of what, where those rules came from, so I don't really want to do that. And so, and so because of that, we, we kind of let, let, let lose touch with people as we're trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they don't see the message of the cross, what they see is a message of rules. And, and that becomes a problem. Um, I've told you before that, um, that you know, uh, even Baptists, we have a lot of rules. There was a, a Baptist church in Stockton, California, uh, where I was no, excuse me, this is Modesto, California, uh, close to where I was pastoring, and I don't even remember what brand of, of flavor of Baptist it was, but one time 
I had to go there to that building, and you walked into their foyer, a little tiny foyer, and this huge sign that took up a whole wall that said the first thing you saw when you walked in was women with pants are not allowed. <laughs> if you're wearing pants, ladies, you weren't allowed to come in. And so, so that becomes a rule in, in one form of a Baptist church that you, if you ladies, if you're wearing pants, you can't come to worship. Now, that might kick some of you out the door right now if that were the case. Now, other, other churches, Baptist churches, have different rules, and they'll say, okay, ladies, uh, you can come to church without wearing a dress. You can, you can wear pants. However, the pants have to have a zipper on the side or a zipper in the back. And I don't quite understand that one. I, I'm not sure. Why would you put a zipper back there? But, you, you know, you have a zipper in the back. So, and some you can't, you can only wear a dress, and some you can wear pants, they just have a, have a zipper in the right side. But surely there must be something more important in our Christian faith than where the zipper on your pants is located. Or is it? I mean, is that, is that all there is? Is it about where the zipper is on our clothes, or is it about, you know, how we dress? Is it, is it about you know, eating fish on a certain day or not eating fish on a certain day or eating meat or not eating meat and all of those kinds of things that, that have, have filtered in to our lives. Now, we're not the only people who had to deal with that. The early church dealt with that as well. These, these Jewish believers had to deal with that. And they weren't handling it really well and they were putting a lot of rules on Gentiles who wanted to come to faith or who had come to faith and they were having to deal with all of these things. And you know that in that first Christian century that, that Jews, that not Jewish believers, but Jewish people, the Hebrew people had, had come to a point where they had not just hundreds but thousands of, of regulations of how they, would, they were to live. They were, they, were, they were told exactly what they needed to do and not do with every aspect of their life. Now, most of them, almost the majority of them, were not found in the Old Testament. They were things that they had added over the centuries. They were just traditions. But they were told exactly how they were to wash their hands, for example. I think it was 20 seconds. Who knew Dr. Fauci was alive <laughs> 2,000 years ago? They were told how many steps they could take on the Sabbath day. Exactly how many steps. And if they got to that number and they weren't quite where they were supposed to be, they would just stand there and wait for the next day to show up. But they had a lot of time to wash their hands then because they were just in one place. And that was the world that they lived in. And then one day, one day, there was this guy that came up who said, I want to test Jesus. And he said, oh, by the way, Jesus, I have a question for you. And so we are now in the, book of, in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 12. And Mark chapter 12, um, this is what he says in, in verse 28. This young man comes, this, this teacher of the law uh, approaches Jesus, and he says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
Jesus, of all of the commandments, and there are thousands of them, which is the most important that we should follow. Now, consider this. Consider how important the answer is that Jesus is going to give. Because this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the author of all of creation. And what he answers, because of his position in the universe, because of who he is, is going to tell us everything we need to know about a relationship with God the Father. And so what does Jesus answer? How does he answer that question? He said, well, this is what you need to do and not do. Never eat pork. No, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, don't eat certain kinds of meat on certain days of the week. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, make sure, ladies, that your zipper's on the side and not in the front. Didn't say that either. He didn't say, make sure you wash your hands a certain way for a certain amount of time. Didn't say that. Those weren't the things that he answered. Did he say, okay, this is really the answer. Seekers can come to church on Sunday morning and worship, but only true believers get to come on Wednesday night and Sunday night. Didn't say that either. What does he answer? He said this in verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Interesting, isn't it? Not at all what they thought they would hear that day. According to Jesus, what's the most important thing that you could do? In case you don't know. Oh yeah, they're up there on the wall. But they're in the book of Matthew instead of Mark, but it's the same, it's the same answers, isn't it? He said, ultimately, if you're going to love God, or if you're going to do the most important thing, you're going to love God. You want to know what the most important commandment is? It is to love God. You love God. That was his answer. You love God. Now, he goes, on to, he goes on to say that um, if you want your life to be vibrant, you're going to have to have this personal relationship with him, but the key to it is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, he is going to say that the second commandment uh, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, but we're not going to deal with that part today. We're only going to deal with that verse, verse 30. And in fact, I'm asking you to memorize that verse this week. Uh, to memorize verse 30, because it's the most crucial law in the universe, loving God with all you are. And this, this really is the central point of Christianity. This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. Living the Christian life is not a matter of keeping track of, of obeying uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of mind-numbing laws and rules and regulations. It's a matter of loving God with everything that you have, loving him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And if you do that, you know what happens? Everything else turns to fall in place. Back in the year... 
in the years between uh, 80, 2000, uh, 200 and AD 300, um, there, was a young, there was a man who was living uh, from AD uh, 250 uh, something to, to AD 300 and about 75 years later, about AD 25, uh, 325 in North Africa. And his name was, uh, we call him today, St. Augustine of Hippo. And because he was living in an, a, in the area of Hierapolis in northern Africa, and um, he was a, a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, and and um, and priest, and and this is what he said. He said, "Love God and do whatever you please." Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. How could somebody that we call a saint say something like that? Love God and do whatever you please. But you have to remember what he's saying, because that sounds a little new, new agey. You know, that you can just go out and do whatever you want, and God will just accept that. No, what he's saying is that when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, when you make that number one in your life, you know what happens? Everything else turns to land in place. That all of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to do what is right and what is good, and not wanting to do what is those bad things that you don't want to do anyway. Or even if you did want to do them, you stop wanting to do those. And so he said, when you get the loving God part right, everything else kind of lines up where it needs to be. That's exactly what Jesus just said here in Mark chapter 12, wasn't it? He said the most important commandment is get this one right. Everything else is going to land in place. It's going, to, it's going to change who you are. It's going to change what you do. It's going to help you to learn to love God and, and, and to be able to do those things that God wants you to do. And so this morning, in these last few moments we have, I want us to look at how we can love God more. These are, these are three way, excuse me, four ways that you can grow in your love for God. They're not really hard. In fact, you can even call them the four C's uh, if you want to. Uh, not S-E-A-S, but just the letter C, because each, each of the commands is just the letter C. It starts with the letter C that I'm going to give you today. And so the first one is to commit yourself to being loyal to him. Commit yourself to being loyal to God. If you're, going to, if you're going to be that person that God wants you to be, if you're going to love God with all your heart, um, then you're going, to have to, you're going to have to learn to be loyal to him. You're going to have to make that decision. You have to commit yourself uh, to doing that. You know, in a traditional wedding ceremony, of which uh, most of us in here have been through one of them at least somewhere along the way, and if you haven't, you've at least maybe been to one and watched what was going on, and maybe some of you are still hoping to someday be there, and that's okay. Um, and, and I've been to a lot of them where I'm, I'm the preacher, I'm the guy up in front, and, and almost all of them have somewhere along the way where the pastor, the minister, looks at the couple, and he addresses each one individually, and he says to them, do you pledge to give yourself only and always to this person for as long as you live. And what would be the correct answer there? Yes, I do. If you say no, we're probably no more wedding ceremony going on, right? So the right answer is, well, sure, that's why I'm here. Yes, I choose to do that. And so most of us in here, there's that point where we said, yes, I'm going to. Except when they raise their hand, we usually have it on the Bible. We say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself to them. And you know what that means? It means that, um, that, that it has this idea of, um, of and the stipulation that says, 
yeah, and I'm going to be exclusive in this relationship. That, that I am going to, I am going to um, give everything that I have. I'm going to forsake all others for this relationship. That's what we've got to do. It's the same way in our relationship with God. Are you willing to forsake everything else? Are you willing to give God your heart to become loyal to him? In verse 30, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. That means there's this point in your life when you say, okay, God, I know that I'm saved and I am going to be exclusively in this relationship with you. I am going to love you with all of my heart. I am not going to give it to somebody else. Now, I have to make a confession. I am a San Diego Padres fan and a used-to-be San Diego Chargers fan. I grew up there. That was where I grew up in San Diego. And so I love the Padres and I love the Chargers. Now, Barb and I have lived in a lot of other cities where they are not the primary teams. And so when we've moved to other places, I try to be sort of fans of other places. When we lived in Riverside, I was, because the only thing we got in the news back then, this is pre-internet days, uh, were the, the Dodgers and the Angels, and I couldn't do the, National, the American League. And so I, was, I, was, I tried to be a Dodgers fan. And then we moved up to the Bay Area in California, and I tried to be a San Francisco Giants fan and a 49ers fan. Never the Raiders. Couldn't do that. Then we moved out here, and it's the Cardinals, and in, base, in the baseball, it's the Diamondbacks. And, and I even have some of their paraphernalia. But you know, anywhere I was at any time when... When, when those teams were playing one another, when the Padres were playing the Dodgers, when the Padres were playing the Giants, when the Padres were playing the D-backs, guess who I root for? The Padres. Barb and I, a couple of seasons ago, went to the only D-backs game we've ever been to. We had our Charger blue on because they hadn't changed their uniforms back to brown and yellow yet again. And we were in a sea of red. We looked around us. Everybody was red. And the Padres won, and I thought, oh, we're going to get killed before we can get out of here today. <laughs> Why? Because at heart I am a Padre and a Charger. That's where my loyalty lies. And so if, if I'm watching the Diamondbacks and the Padres on and in it, I probably will say, well, I hope they win unless it benefits the Padres for them to lose, and then I'm voting for them to lose anyway. But that's, that's what a fan is. It means you're a fanatic. You're a fanatic for that one particular team or that one particular organization. And that's what being a fan of God is in Jesus Christ. You love him, and you say, okay, God, I am going to have this exclusive relationship with you. I love you, and I'm going to love you with all of my heart. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be competing influences. There's going to be a, a quest. There's always going to be those quests. There's going to be quests for power. There's going to be 
quests for relationships. There's going to be quests for possessions and, and, and all of those types of things come into our lives. And there's a, there's, they're always going to compete for that number one spot in your life. They're like that other team that's, that's, that's saying, yeah, but you ought to give everything to me. You ought to put all your, all your energy into this one thing, and it's not God. But if you're going to love God with all your heart, you're going to say, no, my relationship with God is always going to be number one. It's always going to be number one. That's why I say that my, my priorities are Jesus, Barbara, our kids, and the church in that order. They will always be that order. Because I can't love God with all my heart if that's not the right, if I don't have that in the right order. And Barb's order has to be Jesus and me and our kids and the church. It doesn't mean that we don't love each other, but it means that our love for Jesus Christ, our love for God has to be number one in each of our lives. Or this whole thing breaks down. So if you want to grow in your love for God, then you have to forsake all other things and to pledge yourselves only and always to him as first. Second thing, if you want to love God better, is to cultivate your spiritual life. You've got to cultivate your spiritual life. After you have, have you learned to commit your loyalty to him, then you have to cultivate your spiritual life. And verse 30 goes on to say, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with what? With all your soul. With all your soul, you have to do that. Now, I just compared our, our relationship with God uh, to a marriage and to, to that type of a relationship because, because it is. We're the bride of Christ. And so let's just continue that just a little bit more. Um, uh, let's, let's say, um, let's look at, at what are maybe the signs of a great marriage. Uh, what are, uh, for example, um, you know, what are they? Uh, you know, what are, the, what are the, you know, is it a nice house? And that's a great marriage. Or is it a, uh, a six-figure income? Does that make a great marriage? Is it, um, is it a new car? Is it lots of kids? Do those things equate to a great marriage? All those things might be nice, but they don't make a great marriage. In fact, there are people who have all of those and more and never have a great marriage. So those are not the things that are going to equate to a, good, uh, to a great marriage. Um, and, and so, you know, what are the signs of a happy marriage? What makes a happy marriage uh, different from just going after all those kinds of things? Um, you know, you can tell when a couple is happily married, when they've been happily married for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, or some of you in here even 60 years and more. What are the signs of that great marriage? Thinking about that this week. What are the signs of it? One thing is they probably still hold hands. They still hold hands. When Barbara and I walk somewhere, we're walking together, we hold hands. We did a lot of walking yesterday. We hold hands. We used to get up, we will soon here again, with, with the days getting longer, um, get up and walk on the golf course for three miles, and we would hold hands for three miles. 
Now, for her, that's not unusual, but she's holding hands with a really old guy, and so I'm impressed that she does that. It's, it's when, they, when they, still give, they still look each other in that certain way. You know what that way is? They probably learned it when they were teenagers or young lovers. It's like the young couple that, that were just starting to date, and they didn't really know what to say and what to do. And they went to a park, and they sat down on the park bench, and he looked over at her, and he cocked an eye at her. She glanced back at him, cocked an eye back at him. And they sat there looking cockeyed at each other. <laughs> you remember those days? And so, you know, there's that look that you give. You say, yeah, we understand. In the middle of a conversation with a lot of people, at a busy place, in a room, in a worship service, whatever, it's just kind of that look. This is, yeah, we know. We understand. We're communicating just with a look. Just talk, you know, a happily married couple still talk to each other at the end of the day. They still have words to say, and they still want to talk to each other. They laugh at each other's jokes, and I understand why Barb would continue to do that. <laughs> You're not my spouse, she is. You know, that, that's, 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 those, are happily, those are people who are happily married. Uh, they, know, they know that this doesn't just happen by accident. There's work that goes into it. There's, there's some hard work that goes into that. And that's the same way with your relationship with God. If you want to love God with all you are, you have to cultivate that intangible something that is there. There's that intangible something in your, in your marriage relationship in a good marriage, and there's an intangible something that's there in your relationship with God. And, and Jesus said, when you love God, you have to love God with all your soul. That means you've got to cultivate your spiritual life. It's that thing that's kind of, you can't just put your thumb on it and say, there it is, and you, and you, you, know, you can't just put it in a box. It's just there. Um, and so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you say, God, I want to, I want to grow in my knowledge of you? But more than just knowledge, I want to grow in my relationship with you. And Jesus, I just want to know you better. How do you do that? Well, it's going to involve some things. It's going to involve... Your spiritual life is going to involve then prayer. It's going to involve Bible study and Bible reading, and that's why we're encouraging you to, to join us in our journey through the, the Bible in these three years, uh, starting with this first section of the, the New Testament and then reading through all of the Bible in a three-year period. Um, it's going to involve uh, meditation and reflection on God's word in your life, and, and you're going to seize those opportunities to be in his presence. So let me share with you spiritual truth number one this morning, and it's just this, that the more time we spend alone with God, the more we grow to love him. You've got to spend time with him. Like you have to spend time with your spouse, you spend time with God. And the more you do that, the more you grow to love him. And the less you do it, the less you're going to grow in that love relationship with him. That's just the reality of what happens. And so the more you love him, uh, the, you spend time with him, the more you're going to grow in your love for him. Um, and that's why we put such an emphasis on this daily quiet time. And, and um, when you shut out the rest of the world and you say, okay, God, I want this time with you. I want to be able to speak to you. I want to know Jesus more deeply. It's an opportunity to spend time in the presence of someone you love, and it's an opportunity to fall more deeply in love with him. And so you carve that time out of your schedule. 
And then thirdly, you need to control your mental diet. Talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about Romans chapter 12, verse 1 uh, and 2, especially verse 2 when he says, you know, you've got you to control what you think about, what goes into your mind. And so are you going to control your mental diet? Verse 30 says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. You've got to love him with all your mind. Jesus said that if you're going to love God with, with all your mind, that means you're going to allow God to be the controlling influence in your life. And it all starts, remember, from the top down last week. It starts in your mind. And so as, as you begin to let God control what goes into your mind, then out of that grow the actions that you want. And that's why you can, you can say, okay, God, I love you, and then the things that I do, whatever pleases me, is going to be what pleases you. And so I'm going to want to please you. Um, you know, I, I read about a pastor who, who, had, who had canceled a subscription to a, to a, a Christian humor magazine, and um, he told another pastor friend, and he said, I did this, I, I, I canceled this, this subscription because I, I was looking at it, and as I read it every month, I, it, was, it was, you know, too satirical and, 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 and uh, just, just really kind of not where I wanted my mind to be. It was too sarcastic many times. And his pastor friend said, yeah, but it was really funny. It's really funny. And you know what the, what the answer to his friend was? who said, yeah, but it was really funny. He said, I canceled it because I would rather be holy than humored. Now, do we pay attention to what goes into our minds? Do we pay attention to what we let in? So we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to love God more, what am I allowing into my mind? What am, what am I putting into my mind? I have to ask myself, who's putting this into my mind? Where's it coming from? Not only what is it, but, but who is it that's putting it in? I have, to, I have to ask who I am listening to. Who am I listening to that's going to put stuff into my mind? What do I read that's going to go into my mind? I've got to ask myself, what do we watch and, and what do I think about? Those are, are critical questions to saying, God, I want my mind to be in your control. And so I'm going to love you with all of my mind. Jesus taught us that, that what we think uh, makes the difference in what kind of person you become. Um, you know, for example, you may have never thought you would be uh, unfaithful in your marriage relationship. Or maybe you thought you would never be the person who would physically strike somebody else. But what you allow to rumble around in your mind eventually comes out in action. And that's why Jesus addresses those kinds of things and others even in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. So what comes in is what's going to come out. Remember, garbage in, garbage out, or righteousness in, righteousness out. You're going to grow in your love for God. You've got to guard your mind. Control what you listen to. Control what you allow in. Control who you allow to influence what you're going to do. Fourthly, if you want to grow in your love for God, then continue to do the best of your ability. Continue to do the best of your ability. 
Jesus said we're to love God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. To love him with all your strength. That means you keep trying no matter what. You keep going on. There will be days when your heart is going to turn cold. That happens to everyone. There are days, no matter, um, no matter what you're trying, when, when your spiritual life is going to seem dry and stale, and you just, you just don't want to pick up God's word, and you're going, to have to, you're going to have to power through that. You're going to have to just keep doing what is right to the best of your ability, and your mind is going to be filled with nothing but rubbish, but you have to keep on trying. And so you surrender your heart again and again and again to him. You open your soul to him again and again. You let him renew your mind again and again, because when we fail in our efforts to love him uh, with all we are, and we, we don't give up, we keep trying, and we keep trying till we get it right. And so even those times that you fail, you keep going. Spiritual truth number three, as we get to close here, is this, that, that there's no way, friends, that you will ever love God as much as he loves you. You're never going to love him as much as he loves you. I know that's true. God knows that's true. And guess what? You know that's true. You know that you will never love God as much as he loves you. He loved you before he created anything. He created you knowing that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And it pleased him to do that. You won't love God more than he loves you. But you can learn to love him. You can learn to love him more than you do right now. I don't care who it is that's in this room, who it is that's listening to us online. You can learn to love God. I can learn to love God. We can learn to love God more than we do right now. And your love can grow. It can grow a little bit every day. It can grow just a little bit more every day. There was a song that came out in 1969. It just just kind of banging around in my head this week. And so I looked it up. It came out in 1969. I was, I think, in 10th grade in 1969. And and it was written by Paul Upton. The words were written by Paul Upton, who happened to be a lead singer for Spiral Staircase. Some of you remember? Some of you guys were in 10th grade. When I was in 10th grade, you remember Spiral Staircase. Uh, but it was also sung by about a zillion other groups uh, and individuals over the years. Um, and, and, the, and the song was um, More Today Than Yesterday. And the chorus says this, I love you more today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. I know this is a quirky little rock love song. But you know what? It's got a great message for today in our relationship with God. God, I, I, I don't love you as much as I need to. I don't love you as much as I want to. But I want you to know I'm going to love you a little more tomorrow because I'm going to work on it with all my strength. I'm going to give it everything I've got to be able to love you.
we get an opportunity to return love back and to be in a love relationship with the God of this universe. The God, as our missionary in Toronto said, I can't show you a statue of him. I can't show you a carving of him. But I can introduce you to him. We can introduce you to that God today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you've never been into a love relationship with the God of this universe, it can happen today. And we would love to introduce you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for loving us. As unlovely as we are, and as unloving as we are, you still chose to love us, and you choose to love us still today. So, Father, we pray that today would be the day when one person or many people would say, yes, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. Father, we thank you for the salvation that he has already accomplished and is just waiting to lavish us with his grace. Father, we pray that we would be broken before you that we would ask forgiveness of those times when we have said, I have not been loyal to you. I've let other influences take that place that you should have exclusively in my heart. I haven't cared about my soul. I haven't tried to strengthen it. I've spent time with you in your word and in prayer, just close one-on-one fellowship. paid attention to what's coming into my mind. I just let trash come in and expecting I would still have a love relationship with you and it hasn't worked. And I've been weak and lazy. Haven't been willing to work hard with all my strength. Father, we pray that in our brokenness we would repent, that we would turn around, and that we would work on that relationship to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all our mind, all our strength.